Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Hassan, and I'm absolutely delighted to be with an old friend and colleague, Alan Tate Wood. Um, and I'm going to read a little bit about you, Alan, before we start. Good. Um, but I want to just say we met in 1976 after I got deprogrammed from the Moonies, and I think we were at a TV show or a radio show together, and we met for the first time. And I'm just going to say it. When, when we first met, you said, oh, I left in 73 because they were making people into fanatics like you, Steve. <laughs> That's right. That's <laughs> it was exactly it was a clear memory of like, oh, so the group was different before I got recruited. How interesting. Yes. And now I want to just read a little bit about your your life. And yes. so uh, you were literally the American chief political officer of the Unification Church in the United States. Um, you were also what was another front group called One World Crusade. You were a commander for the State of Maryland Work and Workshop Director and Chief Lecturer for the State of Maryland. Uh, but you also were an expert witness for the Congressional Subcommittee investigation led by Donald Frazier into Korean CIA infiltration into the United States that in their final report had 80 pages on the Moonies, I might add, which is on my Freedom of Mind website. Um, you also testified uh, to Her Majesty's High Court in London. Uh, Alan, was that the London Daily Mail lawsuit? Yes, uh, that's right. The, 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 Daily Mail was, the Daily Mail was sued by the Moonies because the Mooney, uh, Daily Mail had printed that they um, brainwashed individuals and broke up families. And that was the longest libel suit in British history at that time. And the Moonies lost and the Daily Mail won. Yeah, in other words, the court found the Moonies brainwashed <laughs> and broke yes. up families. So, uh, 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 and they had to pay damages. The Moonies yes. had to pay the London Daily Mail because that's how the system is in the UK. Excellent for you, buddy. Um, and you also, it also says in your promo, uh, the United States Supreme Court. What was that about? Well, I testified before the U.S. Supreme Court in 1979 and again in 1981. And this was um, part of the legal proceeding, which wound up putting Moon in jail. You know, so he went to jail in, in, in Connecticut for two years or something. And you know, I was part of that legal proceeding. Wonderful. So I would assume the Moonies appealed his conviction up to the Supreme Court. So they yeah. wanted to listen to the top political, former political officer of the Moonies about, yeah. about the operations. Excellent. Uh, you got out of the group in, I guess, 73. Yes. Uh, we'll, we'll get into your whole story, but you went on to share your knowledge and experiences to warn people about the dangers of cults. You later became a drug and alcohol counselor in Texas, California, New Hampshire. Um, you saw, sought out um, commonalities with, with addiction counseling and teaching, right? In county yes. state jails. Yes. Um, and you've written uh, a memoir, which I'm going to encourage you to read and make into an audio book and a digital version. Moonstruck, a uh, memoir of my life in a cult, Alan Tate Wood. I, and it's signed by you, I might add. Um, and you've also written a great and important critique, which I've used for decades, helping people get out of the Moonies, of the historical parallels that are alleged in the Mooney cult theology, here's a copy of my uh, uh, edition of what was called the Divine Principle. Um, and I think you have an older copy, um, maybe, that from your days that you might want to show, hand up and show uh, for those watching the video. Yeah, thank you. Yep. And uh, Alan, uh, you know, we're not getting any younger, you and me, and there are tons of people now leaving the cult who were born into it as a result of the mass weddings uh, that, and the weddings that failed, I should add. Um, and so I wanted to 
capture as much as I can of your knowledge and experience so that people can have a more accurate history of, yes. of this, what I've been calling a fascist, destructive, authoritarian cult, and that is still active to this day, uh, influencing politics around the world. So that said, that's the warm-up. Alan, when when did you meet the group? Give us a little little right. uh, thumbnail, and then we have an outline of some some yes. topics. Yes, well, in the in the spring of 1969, I was in college in Tennessee at the University of the South in Sewanee, Tennessee, and I was uh, filled with um, kind of I would say religious zeal. I was strongly anti-war, anti-Vietnam. And uh, at a certain point, I decided to drop out of college, and I wanted to hitchhike across the country. And my plan was to go to India to find a, a holy man who could catapult me directly into heaven, because I was <laughs> okay. having a hard time with life here on earth. Okay. Anyway, so I, I wound up hitchhiking across the country, and I got to Berkeley, California, and I bumped into the Moonies. Mm -hmm. And people often ask me, they say, well, Alan, how did you... How did you join or why did you join? And I like to say the general answer is I joined because of innocence and ignorance. Mm -hmm. I was 22 and I didn't know anything. I hadn't really learned anything yet. Uh, and the other thing is, was the Mooney's, <clears throat> you know, beginning skill at uh, recruiting and witnessing. And that was, uh, there was a guy named Edwin, Edwin Ong, who was the leader of the the Mooney Center in Berkeley, and he was a 43-year-old Indonesian man who was working on his PhD in economics, and he couldn't have been sweeter. He was sort of tiptoeing around our second-floor apartment in just these little padded shoes, and he's just sweet as he could be. And his number two guy was a guy named Farley Jones. Oh, I remember Farley Jones. And it turned out that Farley had gone to Princeton. He graduated from Princeton. He played on the Princeton hockey team, mm -hmm. and I grew up in Princeton, and it turned out that Farley was friends with many of the people I knew in Princeton. Mm -hmm. So when I bumped into the Moonies in Berkeley with Farley Jones there, it was like it was kind of like a welcome home situation. So mm -hmm. I really became fond of Farley. I would say I became a kind of like a follower of his, and uh, he he helped cement my uh, allegiance to the Moonies. Right. So we have a lot to cover. So needless to say, the group was very different in '69. Yes. yes. Just give us give us a thumbnail of some of the things that you did, and then we'll get into the list yeah. of. Yeah. There was no political activity. There was no, no discussion of politics. Uh, membership in the group there was all about studying the divine principle, and that's when we were studying this book by Miss mm. Kim. Yeah. And uh, the other thing was witnessing on campus, inviting people to come back to our little center where we could begin to give them lectures. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, it was prayer and singing, and uh, people had some people had jobs outside that we were working on, but it was very low key, and there was no. No discussion of Democrats and Republicans. No discussion of, uh, you know, what later became this militant anti-communism. That stuff was not on the table at that time. Yeah, when I met, Moon was saying democracy was satanic and we had to infiltrate the government. But yes. you, you, you had the early days. And when I got in, guys couldn't uh, be in the same room alone with women or hug them or kiss them. But I heard the West Coast, you guys were loose, and you. That, that was things. a whole other branch. That wasn't us. We, we oh, were okay. part. Of, we were part of the East Coast. Shut it down. Lock it down. Kind oh, of thing. Okay, good. So you were. <laughs> but more it was so. In my it was ilk. so. In, it was so informal. It was so friendly. Okay. You know, there was no sharp teeth visible. When did you hear that the Messiah was on the Earth and he was Korean? Well, you know, I, I bumped into the Moonies. When I bumped into them, I had no place to stay. I was just, you know, a vagrant wandering on the West Coast. And they invited me to stay in their center. And so I did. And uh, they encouraged me that first night to get a, a sleeping bag out of a closet. I opened the closet. I got the sleeping bag out. And behind the sleeping bag was a picture of Mr. Moon. And it's him looking directly into the camera, wearing one of those lovely kimonos, and uh, when I saw that picture, something in my mind said, oh, 
they're going to tell me he's the Messiah. And about three days later in their little lectures, they told me that he was the Messiah and that he was here, but that it was my job to figure out if that was true. And I think I I was hooked. I, I wanted him to be the Messiah. So I said, okay, he is. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. So uh, I already said you were a top political operative. Yeah. I'm going to ask you to dive in um, and, yeah. and share the fly story that you yes. learned in the call. Yes. Well, this is something that I had heard, but then I heard him actually say it in Korea when him I was there. Him Sun Myung Moon, the yeah, deceased I heard, Messiah I heard Moon, himself. Yeah, he described this. He told this story to us, which was that he was in prison camp in North Korea, and he was in a single cell and was lonely. And at a certain point, a fly came flying th through the room and he sort of fell in love with the fly because there was no other living creature there. And at a certain point, he captured the fly and he told us this. He said, I tore its wings off because I was so lonely, I wanted it to stay with me. And of course, I think that was a big kind of red flag that my little brain just didn't pick up at the time. Yeah. But you know, the idea that you you tear the wings off something because you love it is not a good uh, omen. <laughs> yeah, but it is very indicative of what well, yeah. his mindset well, yes. uh, was for sure. Um, so uh, the next thing we have down here is just his doctrine to restore sovereignty to God through deception and lying. Yes, well, this is this is part of the known sort of wider picture of theological history is, is that uh, all of mankind has been deceived by Satan because he lied to Adam and Eve at the beginning of history. And so Mr. Moon says what we have to do is kind of flip it over. And the way we'll flip it over is we will lie to the satanic world in order to um, pull them out of the satanic world and bring them into the heavenly world. And basically what that means is collecting people and bringing them underneath the aegis of the Unification Church, where Mr. Moon and the people beneath him control and guide and direct everything. So it's not about you get to use your mind, you get to think about things, you get to, you know, weigh things or have dialogue. It's no, it's about sovereignty is restored through lying. Yeah, and I actually have some printed copies of the early master speaks, where, yep. which were printed by the cult. Uh, yep. Where Moon talked about God lying, and it's yes. it's not a lie if you do it to help somebody. That's right, right, That's right. right. So you know, for me, what I came to understand once I was deprogrammed is that the ends don't justify the means, and especially if you're trying to make the world a wonderful Garden of Eden on Earth. It can't be built out of deception and right on. force and right. harm and right. enslavement. So let's talk about Satan, the centrality mm -hmm. of the teaching of Satan in the moon cult. Well, you know, as, as I said a minute ago, that, you know, their description of things is that Satan lied to Adam and Eve. And because they essentially followed him or believed what he said, then they were separated from God. So all of human history has been deviated and has been essentially owned or controlled by Satan. And then, of course, Mr. Moon says that he comes, and he comes in the position of Jesus to fulfill what Jesus failed to do, which was to establish uh, a divine bloodline. And Mr. Moon says that he is now here to do that. And his teaching, especially from Miss Kim's book, 1960, it says that, in fact, he did that. He got married in 1960 at the age of 40 to his oh, to a woman named Hak Jahan, who was actually his third wife. But the teaching says that was his first wife and that their marriage was completely pure, uh, free of original sin, and then that the children they have will be free of original sin, and then all of their offspring will be free of original sin, and that people who join the movement wind up grafting themselves onto this tree of life uh, metaphorically, emotionally, spiritually, physically. So people who get married in the church under Moon's aegis also can have children who are free of original sin. Right. Now, now the I first... I want to jump in, if I may, Alan, yeah. forgive me, but um, what's missing, I think, for our listeners is the explication 
that the Moonies believe Satan was Lucifer yes. and that Satan had a sexual relationship with Eve and Correct. she seduced Adam, yes. which is how we got satanic blood in us. That's it. And which justified the whole deception thing of Satan's children and the mass weddings and the so-called yes. purification of the blood lineage. Yes. Right? So, that you know, it was a big, ooh, we know the origin of sin. That's right. We have big... power because we know the actual truth of what happened. Yeah. And, and I think that for somebody, especially somebody who is innocent and ignorant, that kind of stuff is very powerful. Yeah. It's certainly, I had never thought about the or origin of sin, but then again, mm -hmm. I was raised Jewish, and we don't believe in Satan or evil spirits, <laughs> uh, etc. And um, and just to add one more piece for our listeners that that Moon was finishing Jesus Christ's failure because yes. Jesus was supposed to get married, yes. have sinless children. John the yeah. Baptist should have been his first disciple. The Jews should have marched on Rome conquered Rome and yeah. therefore made the world a, a perfect Garden of Eden for Earth. But because Jesus failed, right. it took God 2,000 years of history to, mm -hmm. to play around with the blood lineages to get to Sun Young Moon so he was perfect. And right. then he used his weapon between his legs to purify all these women, not just his wives, but apparently lots of other people women have come forward, including the illegitimate son right. <laughs> by another woman uh, uh, by Moon. But right. let's that, go. Yeah, that go son, I met that son, Sun Jin Moon. I yeah. met him in 1970. He was 24 years old. And somehow that just escaped me at the time. You know, I didn't put together that, wait, if he's 24, that means he was born in 1946. That's way, way before 1960 when Mr. Moon was meant to be a pure virgin and getting married for the first time. And it's like the whole thing is a That's web of That's very lies. important. I was yeah. actually alluding to Sammy Pack, who was oh. raised by Bohi Pak as right. his own child, but it was actually one of Moon's illegitimate kids while yes. he was married yes. to Hak Chahan. <laughs> yeah, it's it, we got to laugh at it because it hurts so badly, but right. we believe this nonsense. So let's move on to one of the most uh, incendiary stories where you as a leader asked Moon a question about yes. gay people in yes. the church. Tell, tell us that story, please. Yeah, it's, it's July 1973, and it was a, it was a monthly meeting at, uh, at his house in Tarrytown. And there were state leaders and one world crusade commanders from all 50 states, plus European leaders, Asian leaders, were all together in this carriage house, which has been kind of refitted to be a place where presentations are given. Oh, yeah, and I was indoctrinated there many times. There, there we were with Mr. Moon on stage, and he had been talking to us for, I don't know, 45 minutes or so. And at the very end, he said, are there any general questions? And I stood up, you know, the One World Crusade commander from Maryland, I stood up and I said, yes, Father, I'd like to know, I'd like to ask you what we can do in our movement to help the men who have the problem uh, of homosexuality. And he stopped cold in his tracks, got very still, and then he stepped forward and he said in that dramatic fashion, you know, where he's waving his fists in his hands, and he said, you tell them if it really becomes a problem to cut it off barbecue it, put it in a shoebox, and send it to me. The whole room was silent, just like, what's going to happen now? And then he stepped forward, and he began to laugh. And then the whole room sort of exploded into laughter, all just up and down, up and down, up and down. And I was sitting there thinking, you know, my dad wasn't perfect, uh, but he was a good man, and he was a psychiatrist. And what he taught me was that the appropriate response to human suffering is compassion and love. And here's this guy who I'd been thinking was the Messiah, who's gonna straighten out all the problems in human history. And he treats this serious issue as essentially as a dirty joke and as something to laugh at. And at that moment, you know, in late 1973, it's like, it was like a big crack 
in my belief in and my devotion to him. It's like I began to understand that something's wrong here. This is not right. Yep. And it probably took you till after leaving to connect the pulling the wings off to, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. you well, know. yeah, it's the whole thing of pulling the wings off is like you're not allowed to use your mind. And that's a right. big part of Mooney teaching is the mind is the realm of Satan. So you don't want to get busy using your mind. You don't want to get busy thinking about things. You know, I love the whole uh, Jewish theological thing that really what theologians do is they argue back and forth about what is the truth and how do we get there, which yep. is a wonderful tradition. But in the Moonies, it's called, no, man, we're not thinking about stuff. We're finding the way to obey. Yep. And uh, this is one of the things that that Japanese teacher at... Uh, at uh, Tarrytown said, uh, he said, some of you think you can follow the master if you understand him. And what he said was, you are the very ones he cannot use. He's looking for the ones who can follow him and obey him when they don't understand. It's like, okay. Yep. <laughs> Not for me. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, so we have so much more to talk about, but I would like to have, have you describe i believe you went to japan and korea can you yes. share some some yes. experiences there for our listeners yeah I, I i went to japan i was there for i think i don't know maybe 17 days and i was the uh speech writer and speech coach for osami kuboki who was the president of the japanese church and he was the head of the international federation for victory over communism which was the host of the World Anti-Communist League Conference in Tokyo in, in 1970. So I was up there teaching Mr. Kaboki how to pronounce words like miracle, and he was very gracious and friendly. And then later I was down in Tokyo and I was the English-speaking MC for this giant extravaganza in the Budokan Sports Palace where there were, I don't know, 30,000 people all just howling at the top of their lungs and they'd have these delegations march in from different nations. I think there were 53 nations that, that attended that conference and I got to announce each one in English. Um, and what else? Uh, and then after that, I, I went to Korea for uh, seven days and there I met Mr. Moon for the first time. And he, um, you know, took me aside from the rest of the group because I was the political leader. And I had a one-on-one -on -one meeting with him where he sat on one side of a table and I sat on the other. And his translator, Mrs. Che, translated and he, he spoke some English, but not that much. And basically it was, you know, he has big plans for the United States. He wants us to go into the universities and he wants to begin getting a hold of faculty members and students. Um, and uh, what else? Um, and later, uh, Chuck Colson of Watergate fame uh, met with you and gave you some money, apparently. from Right, Korea. we were raising money, and you know, I bumped. I went to his house unbeknownst to him and unbeknownst to me and just knocked on the door, and there was Chuck Colson. And uh, he asked what we were doing, and I said, we're, you know, we're raising money for you know, anti-communist work, and so he gave us you know, a donation or something. Um, but there was something else about Mr. Moon back there. Uh, in Korea. It's well, the gun factory, perhaps? Oh, that's it. That's it. That's right. He led How us can on we a forget tour. that? It was <laughs> right. a famous story for me because right. my he, father he led us tried to... He led us on a tour of the gun factory, which was a place that also housed many, many um, Unification Church members. And we walked through the gun factory and there, in there were air rifles, shotguns, and, you know, machine guns, all different kinds of weapons. And these weapons, I found out later, were sold on the world market. So Mr. Moon has been selling, you know, high-powered weapons to anybody who has the money to buy since at least since 1970. Right. Well, especially if you're again, if you're a dictator against communism, will right. supply you. Well, I bu I bumped into this again in 1981. I was called to testify in the trial between the Unification Church, you know, and the Daily Mail newspaper. And they, the Daily Mail had been sued because they printed that the Moonies uh, brainwashed individuals and broke up families. Right. After I'd finished my three days on the stand, I continued to go to the to, to the court proceedings. And a guy came in and he had a big bundle of sort of, I don't know, some sort of uh, khaki stuff all over this stuff. 
he took it off and there was an M60 machine gun, you know, a really lethal looking thing, you know, fires off, I don't know how many bullets per second. And this was like, you know, one of the main products of, you know, Tongil Industries in Korea. And the guy just said, yeah, this is what the Moonies produce. We buy it. You know, it's sold all over the place. And, of course, they had been denying this. They'd been saying, no, right. we don't make weapons. No, we don't do that. No, that's somebody else. That's not us. And it was just established. Here is another lie that's just blatant of yeah. the Unification Church. Yeah, and when the and I when I got out of the group, I had brought all of the Master Speaks uh, 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 copies that I had yeah. as a leader, which was pretty complete set up until 1975, I believe, yeah. 76 or so. Um, and what I later, uh, after Jonestown, uh, and I had read the final report by the Fraser uh, House Subcommittee investigation, and by the way, Leo Ryan was on that committee, he was assassinated by Jim Jones. Yes. Anyway, as I read it, I learned that the Moonies uh, had a, a Korean government contract with the U.S. government to make the weapons. So there was well, like a dirty deal from yeah. the U.S. intelligence community, defense community, with the South Korean government, etc. And um, what I came to understand, because they had deposed the founder of the Korean CIA for this um, uh, subcommittee research, he said he organized and utilized the Unification Church for use as a political tool. Yeah, absolutely. And they were basically creating this victory over communism Mm -hmm. version to brainwash South Koreans to be good little South Korean citizens. Why? Because North Korea brainwashed. So we right. need our version That's right. to stabilize That's right. Right. You know, the peninsula. And But this gets into a lot of the body of my work, which is the fact that I didn't understand the CIA helped set up the Korean CIA or the Korean CIA chose the Moonies as a front group to do all of these political machinations to fight communism uh, around the world. And um, I seem to remember you mentioning a front group, not only WACL, the World Anti-Communist League, but something about an extermination of yeah, the, Inter the International Federation for the Extermination of Communism was the name of the Japanese political movement, which was the political arm of yeah. the Moonies. And that organization, you know, curried favor with all kinds of Japanese leaders all along the spectrum. So there were many, many people who were connected to that. Right. Um, the guy who was the most powerful in Japan at that time was a guy named Ryoichi Sasakawa, who was the president of 13 Japanese corporations. He was the head of all martial arts organizations. And when I met him, I met him in his office and he shook my hand and smiled and we exchanged pleasantries. And then several months later, back in the States, he came to Washington and gave a talk to the national headquarters members of the Moonies. And in his talk, he pounded on his chest and he said, I am Mr. Moon's dog. And this is a guy who was the most powerful person in Japan. And I remember thinking at the time, you know, we are going to take over the world. Yeah. You know, with a guy like this, who is Mr. Moon's ally, who's going to stand in our way? Um, so that's just and another wasn't little... wasn't he a, a Class A war criminal from that's World right. War after, II? After World War II, he was convicted of being a Class A war criminal. He was one of the architects of the Hitler-Tojo Pact in preceding World War II. And the, this guy, when he was interviewed by the press at the end of getting out of his um, prison term, which was three years he said, the only thing wrong with World War II is we lost. <laughs> just nice. That. And this is the guy who said he was Mr. Moon's dog. Yes. Etc. Yeah. So I also want to say for our listeners, this group has morphed over the decades uh, to the point where the, the Congressional Subcommittee said, we can't call this group the Unification Church because that's just one little tiny front group. There, yes. We prefer to call it the Moon Organization because yes. there's so many political entities, business entities, religious fronts, yeah. etc. And it's such a web. And they they finished their their final report saying this: we found so much wrong. There needs to be an interagency task force set up 
to coordinate yes. uh, against to shut this group down. And all that really wound up happening was Moon went to jail for 13 months for conspiracy to evade taxes, which to me was like, what? This yes. was a Foreign Agents Registration Act violation. He was working for the Korean CIA, right. set up the Washington Times. Like, what's going on here? Right. And later, you know, when uh, when 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 uh, George Bush was president and he talked about the evil Axis countries, he talked about North Korea. I went to my congressman at the time, Barney Frank. I said, if North Korea is so evil, how how could the Moonies be doing business in North Korea? They had a car <laughs> company, etc. And he came back to me, um, Barney Frank came back to me, he said, special dispensation. <laughs> special, di so, hmm, that's really dirty. Right. This is really a dirty part of history that one, they want to sweep under the rug. And it would be not as um, centrally important if Sean Moon didn't have, son of Sun Myung Moon, didn't have the rod of iron ministry teaching people we need AR-15 assault rifles and his brother Justin with a factory in the Pennsylvania to make assault rifles and them training on compounds uh, for civil war in the streets of the United States of America. And, and, and in his own ramblings, he says, there's a constitution we will put in place. And of course, it's all about the Moonies. Well, this, this part of what you're saying reminds me of the thing that, that after Trump was elected, one of the things he did the first week after he was elected was he sent uh, one of his sons to visit the Rod of Iron Ministries, and he hung out there for three or four days, and they got along fine. And, you know, ever since then, you know, that Sean Moon or whatever has been a Trump ally. And oh, he was he was there on January sixth. Yeah, I've seen the videos. He's right in the middle of the crowd. Yeah, surging he's into saying the it's Antifa that's in, you know being violent. It's Antifa, and so did the Washington <laughs> Times, both yeah, right. like totally Perfect. disproven, you yeah. know, deflections, etc. But um, and then we should. I want to say that Mrs. Moon had a schism with Sean yes. and Justin. They fought over billions of dollars. Uh, and she says she's, you know, take, keep taking over for father's work and doing all this political stuff, trying to get a lot of top people, including the former UN uh, director, Ban Ki-moon, uh, to be part of that. And Trump spoke for her and Pence yes. and Pompeo and Gingrich and Falwell, I believe. Um, and But in the meantime... The sons are saying she's the whore of Babylon to their <laughs> followers, <laughs> right? And they have the true mission of Sun Myung Moon. But he was he was a nobody until Bohi Pak, who is the CIA KCIA liaison person in Washington, D.C., in the early 60s, right. got recruited to, you know, do this, you know, process. Yeah. And what I, when I was researching the cult of Trump, what came, became clear is that there was a, a continued effort to develop psychological warfare mm -hmm. and using proxy groups, using yes. front groups, especially religious groups, yeah. to hide dirty dealings yeah. and such. And, and I'll also add that the Moonies, did you ever meet Gary Jarman? Oh, yes, sure. Tell me about Gary Jarman, because Gary was a Mooney, then he got involved with a right-wing conservative secretive cult called the Council for National Policy that Ann right. Nelson wrote a great book about. Tell us about Gary Jarman. I don't know much about him, except that he was a kind of, um, I guess you could say kind of like a, a, a teenage a kid who was running afoul of the law, and he was adopted by the, the West Coast branch of the Moonies in Los Angeles, and that was, um, his name Schubert, was that, uh, do you know the name? Schuhart? Schuhart, yes, yeah. yeah. Schuhart kind of adopted him and sort of groomed him and sort of civilized him, and when I met him, 
he was uh, connected to the Freedom Leadership Foundation. And of course, I was made president of the Freedom Leadership Foundation. So when we got the invitation to go to Korea and to Japan and Vietnam and Cambodia, I selected Gary as one of the people to go with us on the trip. And I think that he sort of cashed in on that and used that to sort of, you know, maintain some kind of powerful position inside the Unification Church. Um, and then the next time I saw him was after I had left. And I think it's you and I were together in Washington and we were giving a... a, a, a yeah, know, I organized sort of, ex-members. You yeah. were one of the brave leaders yeah. willing to speak the speak out against the group. We were having press conferences. Go That's on. That's right. And so at that, um, at that meeting, somebody asked me about Gary Jarman. And I just said, well... He's a pamphleteer for the right wing. You know, he's a guy who is generating, you know, fake knowledge to feed to young right wing people. That's basically, you know, what I knew about. Yeah, but uh, so the theory goes, and I was hoping, fishing, if you had any info, but he, I think, was sent on a secret mission to, okay. like, downplay his connection to the Moonies into the council for national uh, policy to give instructions. And mm -hmm. we know James Whelan, the founding editor of the Washington Times Moon's paper, yeah. came from the Council for National Policy yes. over to, to that entity. And it's a right-wing you know, propaganda entity in our nation's capital that didn't make money for decades and an estimated $2 billion. I love, I love this part of your testimony because... It reminds me of the fact that the first three or four or maybe five editors of the Washington Times all were attacked early on as being kind of like, you know, right wing, you know, mouthpieces for Mr. Moon. They all denied it. And then at the end of their careers, they all affirmed it. They all right. said, yep, it's true. Yep. The whole thing was, you know, set up for Mr. Moon to project his ideas. But all of them said, oh, no, 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 we're in, we're independent, we're independent. Exactly. And then they all recanted that and said, no, we're not independent. Yeah, and I have a video of a public uh, panel that Whalen and uh, and the editorial page editor when they resigned because yes. of editorial interference, um, right. uh, uh, you know, happened. So... Alan, you've you've left the Moonies. You've learned about a lot about cults. You've helped other people out of cults, and now you know it's 2022, and it seems like the whole world of cult mind control is, I don't know, running rampant, for lack of a yes. better term. Right. I think it's true. I think that the the phenomenon of people using uh, intelligence or knowledge or, you know, some kind of information, uh, psychological knowledge to control other people has, you know, it's not brand new. It's been with us for thousands of years. But in the last 25 or 30 years, I think it's gotten much more sophisticated. Um, so you can bump into some cult group and you'll have no idea because it's completely disguised. It's operating behind a front group, behind a group, behind a group, behind a group. It's like a veil of mirrors. Right. So, you know, it's like you think about somebody like you or me 30 years ago or 40 years ago being kids in college. Today, somebody who's a kid in college is fair game for people who are in the business of enslaving people. Yeah. Um, you know, you can think about this. What's what's the big cult thing in Nexium? What was that thing? You know. Was yeah, Nexium was a uh, a version of a multi level marketing cult, yeah, except selling coaching. Right. Horrendous things operating behind a shield which says we're trying to help people. Um, but there's them. There's you know, if we think about the old days, there's the Hare Krishna movement. There's Scientology. There's the Way International, uh, Divine Light Mission. All these things. Uh, have a smooth surface, and underneath there's something operating. It's all about seizing people's consciousness and preventing them from thinking about their experience. Right. So today, you know, if I'm I'm talking to some kid who's going off to college, I want to encourage them. 
you know, talk about your experience. Ask other people. Ask people in authority. Talk to people that you disagree with. Don't just sit around Absolutely. and imagine that you've imagine that you found the truth because you bumped into some people who make you feel good. Right. You know, that's part of the whole deal on these uh, extremist outfits. Is initially they're going to love you. They're going to wrap their arms around you, and they're going to try to make you feel good. And then the next thing they do is they tell you the reason you feel good is because God is guiding our movement. Right. And of course, it has nothing to do with God. It has to do with you know, psychological insight and the use of psychological tools to overthrow the mind, the imagination, the conscience. Yeah, exactly. And what's really worrisome in this digital age is when we were out recruiting people in person, we'd have to ask them questions about their background. People needed yeah. to hear you grew up in Princeton, New Jersey, right. and then they introduced you to other people from Princeton but now there's data being collected from people without their permission, certainly in the United States. Right, there's no right. data, private, privacy data protections. And so these algorithms are identifying people and ramping up extremism on the left and the right. It isn't just a right-wing phenomenon, I might add, because there are enemies of democracy that want chaos. They want America yes. to be in decline. They want people to feel help, hopeless and helpless. Right. They want people to, you know, just do video gaming or go into virtual reality or, or but not and not like actually work in the real world to help people who are starving right. or need help. Uh, and so it's it's a, a very critical moment in time, which is why I'm encouraging more former members, even if you left 40 years ago, share your story. Yes. And, you know, the hashtag I got out, you know, I yeah. survived after a cult. Yes. You know, I had a valuable life. I'm so glad I got right. free. I'm so glad I can go to sleep at night with a clean conscience, mm -hmm. you know, not interfering with people's lives uh, and, and such. Um, I want to ask you just to stop and reflect. Any other stories with the sacred, holy first family that come to mind? Uh, any of the children's stories? Well, I know that the child, his eldest child uh, by Hak Jahan died, I don't know, what, 15 Yoshin years ago? Yoshin Moon, yeah, he yeah. had a cocaine and prostitute problem. Yes, and I, I met a guy who had been assigned to be one of his sort of co-pilots to kind of go with them through life. And this guy said that um, that no matter what happened, he would be there just affirming him, strengthening him, helping him, supporting him. And what he said was that over time, this guy descended deeper and deeper and deeper into depravity, chaos, and brutality. Um, and he also talked about him uh, abusing and mistreating his wife. Yeah, who, who wrote, that. wrote a whole book about yeah, it. Yeah, she wrote a book explaining the fact that this is not somebody who is, uh, you know, uh, a sinless person who's been created by this magical union between his dad and mom and that they're now free from original sin. This guy was a masher. And uh, right. The fact that she had the courage to separate from him and get away from him, given the fact that he's supported by this vast organization and she just stepped out on her own. I have great respect for her. Yeah, she gave a great interview for 60 Minutes and yeah. she described in her book and on that interview that she actually went to Sun Myung Moon yeah. and said... You know, he's having affairs. You right. had affairs. Right. How can you justify that telling the members to be celibate? And right. he's, his answer was not to deny that he had out extramarital sexual mm -hmm. dalliances by the many. He just said, it's providential. What I do is providential. It's providential. I love know? it. <laughs> and, and the other thing she said is that they always blamed her or yes. anyone else Right. You know, when you ask a question against the leader of the doctrine of the group, it's always turned around on you're not spiritual enough. You have trust issues. You know, Satan has invaded you or whatever. 
It's the it's the it's the Noah phenomenon. You know, your job is to uphold Noah, even if he's drunk and naked. You know, it doesn't matter what he's done or is going to do. Your job is just to support him. But that that was like an echo chamber all throughout my experience in the Moonies. Is that you're going to be tested, and the way you'll be tested is the guy who's immediately above you is going to do something that doesn't look good, doesn't look right, and your test is to support him anyway. Right. And that's, you know, it's a critical throughout. thing. And I, I will take this moment because you introduced the idea uh, that the Mooney's theology is that that Cain and Abel, the two principal children of Adam and Eve, uh, the murder that took place reversed the God's planned order if if they hadn't been seduced by Satan and had sex before they turned 21 and so we were indoctrinated that our superior was the able figure. We had yes. to su suppress our egos and submit That's to whatever it. the able figure said, even if it made no sense or it was illegal. And I was trained that way. Yes. I really, I took it to heart. I yes. believed it 100%. I would say being taken to Greenwich Village Theater to see the Exorcist movie and then going up to Tarrytown and hearing Moon say, God made the Exorcist. This is a movie of what will happen if you leave the church. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of solidified my fear of ever allowing any negative thoughts, you right. know, in my mind and such. But the, 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 I'll tell two quick stories. I'm walking with Kamiyama, my, Yes. Abel figure, because yeah. I was one of his 12 American disciples. He was the militarist that Moon brought over from Japan. They moved the national headquarters to New York because they felt Neil Salonen wasn't, you know, uh, strident enough and, and, mm -hmm. and humble enough and obedient enough. And I was told to be the model the able figure, the internal able figure for Neil Salonen to just do whatever I'm told mindlessly. So I'm walking with Kamiyama into 4 West 43rd Street into the national headquarters, and there's a homeless person on the sidewalk. And I took out a dollar bill and I handed it to him. Nice. And then we went inside and Kamiyama yelled at me how mm -hmm. I had given God's money and that I had actually sentenced this man to a low level in the spirit world by taking God's money without deserving it. And I was like, you know, that was one of my lessons. Another lesson was I was put on a mobile fundraising team to break me and humble me. And I was sent to go into a bar at three in the afternoon by this newbie uh, captain. And I said to him, does no one in a bar at three in the afternoon put me by a stoplight or somewhere where I can, you know, sell flowers <laughs> or candies, whatever I was selling. That got reported back to the oh, Japanese yeah. house yeah. mother who mm -hmm. reported back to Kamiyama and I got yelled at. How did I know if I didn't follow his order that someone wouldn't have handed me a hundred dollar donation <laughs> yeah, right. on the spot? I had no faith. That's and right. It was just I said, obedience is, is a magical answer to everything. Yeah. Well, just, God will work if you just blindly follow the leader. I, I, I Forgive me for talking about my stories because hey, this is about your story, but I do want to share how I got to be uh, assistant director of Church 10 at the national headquarters, the Able to Salonen, was I actually had... Uh, a, a, a dream, which in retrospect was actually a nightmare, three <laughs> nights in a row. Did I ever tell you this story? No, no, go ahead. So in my dream, there's there's this long table and Moon Father is at the head of the table and there are all these, and this was like how it was in leadership meetings to a certain extent. But I'm brought in and I'm told, Father wants you to cut off your finger to show your obedience. Perfect. And I was handed a cleaver. And I walked up, I put my finger, I chopped my finger, and in my dream, the blood is like pumping all over the place. I'm given a white linen no. to wrap my, my stump in, 
and Moon smiling, right? <laughs> and right. I reported this dream, and that was I, I was tested in the spirit world, and God knew I mm -hmm. was ready for, right. for higher leadership. <laughs> That's it, Steve. But I remember after the fact, after I got out, that prior to the dream, we were being told about how in Yakuza's, the Japanese yes. mafia yeah. gang people, they would cut off their fingers to oh, show yes. obedience and loyalty. It's like, oh, I didn't get that just out of the spirit world. That was an actual <laughs> set of information that was put in my, my, my sleep-deprived brain. Right. And of course, I was sleeping three to four hours a night because I was told father sleeps only three to four hours a night. Uh, so I thought I need to be a small sun, young moon and think like him and feel like him and walk like him and talk like him. And it was only after I got out that one of the former security guards at his mansion said, oh, we were told to be quiet till late morning because father likes to sleep in. <laughs> Right. What happened to the three right. to four hours a night? Hmm. They just wanted to get labor traffic us. And right. indeed, I was moved from one entity to another. One was for money. One was nonprofit. One was, you know, just it was so many laws being broken all the time. And all I can say is I'm glad I fell asleep at the wheel of my the fundraising van almost yes. died, but at least I got away from the group and my got some sleep. And that's I think, what led. I think there there was a place of divine intervention. Yeah. <laughs> so the so I'm gonna add one more Steve Hassan story. Forgive me, Alan, but no. A year after I'm out, we're at a cult awareness meeting. My mom is behind me, so our backs to are to each other. And I overhear, I'm talking to someone, I overhear her saying, and don't tell Stephen, but I was praying for a whole year. He should have an accident and break his leg. All right. <laughs> and I went, Mom, what are you talking about? You never told me that story. I said, I why it. didn't you tell me? She said, oh, it's not nice to pray to that someone should get hurt, but we needed to get access to you. Yes. So I said, God, just give him a broken leg. And that's exactly all. That was the most serious. I, 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 I limped to this day from my mm -hmm. my severe accident, which reminds me of this this uh, horrendous story of my life. However, due to people like Robert Lifton, who said, "You know, you have something to share. This yes. this experience. You know right. more about mind control and brainwashing than people like me who studied in the fifties in China." You should share what you've learned. And that's Absolutely. been my, my journey. Yes. And I've met so many wonderful people and befriended them like you, Alan. I feel very warmly to you and always admired and respected your intelligence, your humor. Uh, is it okay to say that you you have a relative who was a famous poet, Alan Tate? You could say whatever you wish. But isn't that true? <laughs> well, yes, yes. But, you know, there's something else about our narrative today that I wanted to include, which we somehow skipped over, and that is the final meeting I had with Moon, which was in September of 1973. And at that time, there was a woman who was like a co-equal leader with me in Maryland named Barbara Mikesell, and I heard from national headquarters that she was attacking me sort of behind my back. And so mm -hmm. I, I found out, I called her up and I said, Barbara, you know, if you have a problem with me, let's get together and work it out. And she said, okay, no problem. Well, she continued to do the same thing. And after she did that, then I called up Moon, who was at that time at the headquarters in Washington. And I told him through Mrs. Che, I said, I'd like to meet with the master. I've got a problem. She said, good. So I went down there to the Upshur Street house, went upstairs and knocked on the door. They opened it. I came in. There's Mr. Moon sitting on a couch. And he said, so what's the problem? And I said, well, there's this person who refuses to get together with me to work out problems. And I was, you know, going on the assumption of, hey, you know, Cain and Abel need to work together for things to work. Right. He listened. And then he said, I'll tell you what. He said, it doesn't matter if she hurts you. Or if you hurt her, he said, the only thing that's important is that you both obey me. 
And it was at that moment that I really kind of separated from him. And my mind said to me, you know, this guy is not my teacher. He's not my leader. Uh, and I had gone into the room with the Messiah, still believing. And what I left was a fat little Korean man who I was no longer interested in. Yep. You know, I was just not interested in anything this guy had to say. Uh, and I went back to Upper Marlboro, and within four or five weeks, Geo, Geo Mathis and I and Travis Jones and Jim Weeks, we all decided to leave our positions and go on an unauthorized trip into Mexico. And our stated purpose to ourselves was to try to figure out what in the world we're doing. Well, on that trip, all four of us decided we're leaving. And so we came back to Upper Marlboro, Maryland, and we began to, you know, disassemble the Mooney outfit there. They tried to kick us out. They tried to seize the land. And they couldn't do it because a year before, they had instructed us to privately incorporate. So the, the property was incorporated privately to prevent the national headquarters from being sued if somebody died or broke their neck on the front steps. Uh -huh. Well, I was the president of the corporation. So Yay. they were unable to get the land and the property. And, Good. you know, ultimately uh, 26 people left in one fell swoop. Yeah. Uh, Good. And I've always been happy about that. Yeah. I'm I'm excited. I tried to get the people I recruited in out mm -hmm. and I had indoctrinated them too thoroughly to be faithful <laughs> no matter what, even if I left. Right. And uh, they all left eventually, but it took 20 plus years for most Amazing. of them to leave. Uh, to my horror and my 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 uh, upset. Um any last thoughts that you want to share as you wrap up? Yes, the last thought for me is along the sort of psychological and theological lines. And here I'm going to go back to the ancient Jews and that whole thing about no graven images. Yeah. And I think there's something about that that's true, not just in ancient Jewish antiquity, but right now here today. And that is God is not an idea. God is not an image or a picture. But if you bump into one of these cult groups, they're going to tell you they've got the, the truest picture of who or what God is. And if you subscribe to that, you're going to be free. You're going to be liberated. It's all going to be good. And if you go down the track later, what you find out is you're just in this giant scheme of obeying everybody above you. And to me, obeying everybody above you has nothing to do with a genuine spiritual quest. Right. A genuine spiritual quest is called your mind is awake conscious, and you're allowed to question. Right. And I would just say that right now on social media and the cult of Trump, uh, it's really fear-based stuff as opposed to God and higher higher powers. It's really about, uh, you know, fighting Satan. And of course, mm -hmm. Satan's are the Democrats mm -hmm. and the liberals and the gay people and and uh, they want chaos. They want war instead of peace and compassion and kindness and service and all the things that we all, you know, equate with genuine spirituality. And I'll come back to the theme that we started with, which is, you know, uh, anybody who says that they're they're the center of the universe, they're better than everybody else, and pulls wings off of a fly run uh, because the really spiritual people they don't they're not ego driven they're not needing obedience mm -hmm. and they they're pretty much encouraging people to be true to their authentic selves yeah right and and approach reality with wonder and awe and curiosity right on yeah so thank you so much for your courage to speak up, to speak out, and to share your knowledge and wisdom. You have a website, uh, alanwood7, I believe. At, uh, at atwood7.com. AT, we're going we're gonna to have a blog, and we'll put the link to your Good. website and how people can reach you. And uh, we'll be in touch soon, Alan. Thanks okay, so Steve. Much. Thanks a lot. Thanks, okay. man. Right. Great to be with you. Thank you. 
That's it for today's episode of The Influence Continuum. I've been your host, Dr. Stephen Hassan. Theme music for the podcast by Nasser Malik. To read in-depth articles about influence, both positive and negative, visit my website at freedomofmind.com. On Twitter and Instagram, my handle is at cultexpert. If you want to develop a comprehensive understanding of these topics, I highly recommend my books, Combating Cult Mind Control, Freedom of Mind, and The Cult of Trump, in that order. These books are a culmination of 45-plus years of experience and will really help you fully grasp the complex web of undue influence. I also have a three-and-a-half-hour online course titled Understanding Cults, The Basics, which can be found on my website. If you're a former cult member, I congratulate you on your bravery, invite you to use the hashtag IGotOut, and join our online community at IGotOut.org. Thanks for listening, and remember, love is stronger than mind control.